0: welcome to the talking thomas podcast the podcast for all things thomas and friends shining time station and everything else you can possibly think of relating to a little blue engine i'm um, orion and we're here to be your guides through all things thomas the tank engine and that includes of course shining time station as i mentioned in our introduction now uh Previously, one of our most recent podcasts was on Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. And while that is also a big milestone, there is another huge milestone happening this year as well, and that would be the 25th anniversary of the Shining Time Station one-hour family specials. Uh, In... After season three uh, was aired and everything was finished, uh, Shining Time was didn't necessarily need to continue because it had hit the number for syndication, but it was kind of a rating darling for PBS at the time. Uh, so it was opted that it would continue. Uh, but rather than make a whole fourth season of 20-ish episodes, Uh, Britt Allcroft and Rich Silvercow decided to uh, condense it down to four episodes at an hour length each and expand both the potential for storylines and expand the budget greatly uh, per episode Um, and also hire some uh, more well-known for their time actors to make special guest appearances in and the the season of specials was released a throughout 1995 uh so uh, we'll be taking the month of august to look over the one hour specials and we're starting today with the first of the one hour specials once upon a time uh, so if you have that or uh, it is available to find online uh so Power that up and uh, get ready. You can press play now. Um, And personally, the first thing that stands out to me about the One Hour Specials is the title sequence. It's not terribly different from the seasons two and three title sequence, but there is one major change, and that is that Mr. Conductor appears throughout the title sequence. Uh, doing various things to the uh, credits, you know. Uh, there's he hammers in the R on Brian O'Connor's name. He uh, there's there's a bit where he rides a bicycle across one of them. Uh, he does several different things throughout the credits, and it's a nice update. Oh,
1: well, true, absolutely, and this is a, <clears throat> a great framing device of uh, Mr. Conductor, you know, writing the the letter there. Um, right. And uh, just a nice little set there, with uh, it, even if the candle is a bit out of scale.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, if you were to stand up, the candle would come up to his chin. <laughs> uh, I, I do agree about it being a nice framing device in that, you know, we're so used to hearing Mr. Conductor tell the kids and, by extension, us, Thomas stories. So it's interesting that this is sort of a story within a story in that not only is Mr. Conductor telling Thomas stories and being involved in the overall plot of this episode. But he's telling us the story of what happened in an episode of Shining Time Station. True, and here we
1: have the return of the uh, the magic star, the wishing star from uh, Becky Makes
0: a Wish. Yes, we do. Which Which brings me to one of my favorite bits of the one-hour specials. For the most part, with maybe one or two exceptions, it seems like the one-hour specials are all either either expanded upon ideas that we've already seen or potentially spiritual sequels, uh, this one definitely takes several cues from Becky Mates a Wish in that the overall plot is, you know, Becky wishes on the wishing star, although this time unknowingly, and chaos ensues.
1: Absolutely. And this is, um, you know, you can kind of see in terms of opening up the scale of the show here and, uh, um, you know, and really going beyond the, the the walls of the station uh that this is almost a little bit like the uh you know the proving ground or it kind of uh experimental ideas by britt alcroft and, and rick sickle at the time um for a potential shining temp station movie um you know, and even with some of the ideas of the, the scenery, um, which we'll of course we'll see a lot more of later, but with the, you know, uh, mountains and the fields and horses and things like that, that's imagery that was certainly, um, a big part of, of what would later turn into Thomas and the magic railroad.
0: Right. It's, it, it is all the, the, this, this set of specials does almost feel like a test pilot in some ways for Thomas and the magic railroad, because, and you have to figure that the movie was probably on Brit's mind already cuz if you uh, this episode at least came out in early 95 so you you know you figure it was it was filmed in 94 Brit surely must have been if not already working on the script at least getting ideas for the movie
1: true absolutely and this is a nice outfit from from schemer here um and uh, as always
0: i think the costume department did a fantastic job in well all of the specials really but this special in particular because with the exception of perhaps billy two feathers no one is in the costume that they normally wear everyone's got a special costume for this mr conductor also for the most part wears his normal costume but everybody else aside from those two is wearing something totally different to what they normally wear the stacy's wearing a full-on dress uh, I love, I love steamers outfit. Absolutely. Uh, so um, the costume department must have had a, a wonderful time getting all of these people dressed up in uh, older attire. So, but you can tell that there's been a gap uh, between seasons two and three, even though it's the same, uh, almost the same amount of a gap. There were two years between seasons two and three and another two years between seasons three and the specials. Uh, But it's more noticeable here. The kids are noticeably older, and so, for the most part, are the adults, except Brian O'Connor seems to not age.
1: True, and what's interesting here is that Mr. Conductor refers to the Jukebox Puppet Band by name, the Jukebox Puppet Band, and that's, I believe, the first time in world that they're referred to, at least verbally, um, as the Jukebox Puppet Band, and it's quite interesting. And here, of course, we have uh, J.J. Silvers, who was first introduced in the direct-to-video program a day in the life with the jukebox puppet band and great character um and this is nice too i mean i just the world of the jukebox puppet band is so much fun um, and is. uh jj silvers was a, a lovely addition and we get a, a nice little musical number from him later
0: yes yes um now jj silvers is also voiced by craig maron and so craig is playing Uh, double and, in fact, in a later scene, triple duty this episode. So, uh, you know, because he also voices, uh, I I believe, Rex. So, but uh, it's cool to see him in another role. Now, this, of course, uh, we saw him for a moment earlier, but this, of course, is the guest star of the episode. Each of these one-hour specials had a special guest star, and for this episode, it was Ed Bedley Jr., who uh, some would argue that he's not necessarily a big star, certainly not as big as his father. But, you know, for for this time, he was big enough, at least at least on TV. Yeah, I know his father was in quite a few movies, but Ed Bedley Jr. was more of a TV actor. And for his time, he was pretty decent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, and, and this particular year in 1995, he also
0: was in Batman Forever. He was. He was. (laughs) Yes. Um, I really love these outdoor scenes. A lot of the scenery is beautiful. Uh, These outdoor shots were filmed in a a region of Ontario. Uh, The region is called Tottenham and uh, they, they're just some really nice scenery. And it's so nice because with one or two exceptions, we never really see outside of the station in the series proper. And and that's the thing that Brit really wanted to do with uh, the specials is expand the world of Shining Time Station. And I think that it works really well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Definitely. this is, it's nice. Um, you know, just the, you know, the general atmosphere of this episode is, uh, is great. And then of course here we do uh, have uh Mariff
0: Yes. Uh, Mayor Jr in his last appearance. This would be Jerome Dempsey's last episode of Shining the Time Station. He doesn't appear in any of the other specials after this.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. He he actually um does you know, look a, a bit like Satopham Hat in this particular scene. <laughs> I
0: was about to, I was about to mention that. Um th- he does. He does bear a bit of a resemblance. And I find J.B. King and Mare Flopdinger are two characters that I don't think interacted enough, uh, but they're a fun double act in this episode, particularly because uh, as, as we established earlier, there's a costume contest going on and that's why everyone's dressed up. Um, But every scene that they're in together, J.B. King is trying to convince him of why he should win the costume contest. And it's usually because part of his attire was, owned by either a friend or relative of a famous person. Uh, The the name that sits out to me, of course, is John Jacob Astor, who uh, was, uh, I I forget exactly how involved he was, but I know that he had some part in uh, either financing or uh, something to do with the Titanic. Yeah, he
1: just rode on it. He was one of the passengers.
0: Right, that's right. The chemistry between D.D. Kahn and Ed Bedley Jr. is great. I mean, obviously you want, you need great chemistry for, you know, your lead actress and um, your special guest, but I really liked their chemistry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that Britt Alcroft has said that she really enjoyed working with that Begley Jr. and that he was, uh, you know, he he was quite nice.
0: Yes. This is, this is another great double act, Midge and Jr.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're great. And uh I'm more a fan of uh more a fan of Mid myself, but uh, uh yeah. but but together they're they're a lot of fun.
0: They are. Um yeah, unfortunately neither Bobo Lewis or Barbara Hamilton are with us anymore. Uh but it and it makes but it makes sense, I think, that they're paired together. Uh they're both women of a certain age and you know, they they seem to bounce off each other really well. Um, you know, and I I just really like them teaming up together. Now, speaking of people who in like dressing up look like famous people or like, like other people, um, to me at least, Ginny's costume looks kind of like Queen Victoria. Absolutely. So.
1: I like that. Would you be kind enough to be kind enough?
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That's... <laughs> This, this is one of my favorite episodes, and me, but that's partly because it's one of the few episodes that I watched regularly, which would seem odd because the one-hour specials didn't really get that much re-airing. I, they might have re-aired once or twice, but it's a lot easier to air a half-hour episode than it is to air a full hour. Uh, but my parents taped three of the one-hour specials for me when I was I was about four going on five when these aired. And so, um, this and two of the others, which I'll get into when we get, when we get to those are some of the episodes that I've seen the most of. And so I'm, I watching this back uh, years later, I'm filled with nostalgia for it. And it's, it's so, I love this so much.
1: No, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, you know, (laughs) speaking of the VHS, um, you know, format, it's, there were so many episodes from season three that were released on VHS. And what's interesting is that if these had been made even a year earlier, possibly, um, or just after the conclusion of season three, um, I would guess that they probably would have received at least one of them would have received an official VHS release. Um, But
0: uh, yeah, the, the
1: peak of, Shining Tempestation, in terms of its merchandising and its popularity, was of course season three. So this was, you know, definitely that right. um, it, uh, it was a bit past it. Um, so that would be, of course, why they would not have released these officially on VHS. But um, right, but it would have been nice.
0: I should mention, of course, I said earlier that season three of Shining Tempestation was a ratings darling on PBS, and it and it was, but re-airings weren't as kind, unfortunately, uh, you know, and bear in mind, of course, that there were two years between this and season three, but by the time that these had aired, you know, the entire series had run its course for the most part. And it's really kind of miraculous that these episodes, that these four specials even got made because as I said earlier, uh, Shining Time Station had hit the magic number for syndication and most, most children's television shows either end right at the syndication number And way before it or or go on for years after to the point of where they probably should have ended years earlier uh but shining temptation is the one case where they made it past the syndication number and then died out shortly thereafter
1: i like the periscope uh for the the jukebox does that appear in any other episodes i can't
0: remember i don't recall it it might well but i don't recall this is another one where I like the costumes and, you know, obviously the Jutebots puppet band, we're more used to seeing them in costume because they've appeared in other costumes throughout the run of the show. But I still did a kick out of seeing their, everyone's costumes, even the jukebots puppet bands. Uh, although the interesting thing for me, as we'll see in a moment, is that while they have their costumes when they're speaking and such, they change back into their normal outfits, with the exception of the hats. They're all still wearing their hats, but with the exception of those, they change back into their normal outfits for when they're performing.
1: Right, and I wonder why that is. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, it is because you would, I would think, at least while they had the costumes on. I don't know. Maybe they were harder to manipulate in those costumes because some of the costumes are rather bulky. I guess. But yeah, very possible. I don't know. So, um, this, <laughs> as you'll see, dear listeners throughout, uh, these four, one hour specials, there's, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of gushing about these episodes again, because three out of the four of them are some of the episodes I'm most familiar about. Um, th- but d- I love this song, uh, lonely cowboy, or as it's, I think it's credited as lonesome cowboy, but I really liked this performance, uh, by, by the band it's it's really cool
1: yeah it's a nice it's a nice little song
0: very americana as well and the first two um of the one hour specials much like shining time station itself is very based in americana a lot of it is um this the third and fourth special is not so much definitely not the fourth special as much but the first two especially because this one it you know it it has a cowboy as a main character. And then the second one is centered around baseball. How much more American can (laughs) you get? So. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, the one hour format of these stories Really helped liven it up a bit because uh, they do have a stronger storyline. Uh, you know, because there's only so much you can do in half an hour. Uh, where where at least a good five, sometimes ten minutes is taken up with Thomas stories. But you know, here they have a whole hour, or really fifty five minutes technically, uh, and then you t- and then you add in two Thomas stories, so forty five minutes. But that's still another forty five minutes. So they have plenty of time to flesh out. A better storyline and really work on it, and because there were only four episodes, they can put more time into each one and make one strong. And I don't know that there's necessarily a weak episode of these four. There are weak moments within episodes, but I don't. But I think all four of the specials are quite good in my actually.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and here we go into our first Thomas story here, which is Rusty to the Rescue. Which is, yeah. um, you know, which is. Uh, we'll we'll of course talk about the season four episodes when we get there. But uh, this and
0: boys, there are lots.
1: <laughs> but this would have been the first um, <clears throat> the first time that most children um, would have seen season four in America. Right. Um, and what it's an odd introduction um, because you know they would have been wondering uh, where's Thomas, where's all these other characters uh, because right. this is the first narrow gauge episode that would have aired. Um, so very kind of odd choice for that, I suppose, but. Right. I know that it's you know, about helping people and things like that, but really the episode that probably would have fit better for that would have been. Um, I suppose you could say Rusty helps Peter Sam, but the problem is, is that then they would not have known who um, Peter Sam is or uh, Sir Handel or any of that. So,
0: or, or, or why Sir Handel was in trouble in the first place, because it starts out with Sir Handel had to stay in the shed. And, like, well, okay, why does Sir, who is Sir Handel and why does he have to stay in the show? True.
1: This is, th- while this is not a completely isolated episode, it still is less, it is, it's still um, more isolated, I should say, um, so that it can kind of stand on its own. But it is still a little bit confusing because I hadn't been introduced to Rusty yet. But of course, this is very indicative of the fact that Britt Alcroft, um really was trying to position Rusty as the Thomas of the narrow gauge world and, and right. as kind of a, a um, another plucky little character to uh you know to build to show around.
0: Yes. Uh definitely. Um
1: but that never really panned out past is... season four, which is quite interesting.
0: No, sadly. Um it, it didn't. Now the the interesting thing is this is sort of our second, if not third, introduction to Rusty. If you follow the season like the the Thomas the tank engine episodes uh throughout the season. Rusty gets introduced first in, um, you know, in an earlier episode, I, I want to say um, before rock and roll, uh, I I want to say it's like Rusty helps Peter, Sam or trucks or whatever you want to call it. Maybe there's another episode. I don't recall home at um, last. I think home at last. That's right. Thank you. Home at last. Um, and so, you know, he gets introduced, he gets introduced the first time in home at last, and then he's reintroduced another time. And then this is his third introduction. <laughs> So we did introduce to Rusty three times throughout uh, the course of half a season. Um, But it is an interesting choice to start for the first season four episode, because like you said, Orion, for the most part, unless you had gotten the VHS, which had only just come out, like, as I said, this was this was aired on PBS in very early 95. And the VHS didn't come out very long before this. So unless you had gotten the VHS, which only only just come out maybe a month at most two previous, no one would have, very few, I think, would have even had any idea of who Rusty was. And I think that that's a, it's an interesting choice, but I like that the kids aren't familiar with it either because, you know, Mr. Conductor just starts talking about Rusty and Stephanie. And then Dan and Becky are like, wait a minute, who are Rusty and Stephanie? So. True.
1: And there's really no other episode of season four that would have fit this, um, you know, the, the, the shoehorned in message that they're trying to uh, to convey. Um, yes. There's really no other episode that fits the bill quite that way, I suppose.
0: It's, exactly. You know, it's it's another case of Shining Time Station, because they have to have Thomas episodes in it and they don't really have any excuse not to have two in a one hour episode. Uh, you know, it, they just had to pick whichever one they thought would work best. And I, I, I can almost understand the reasoning for putting this episode in uh, because I'll, I'll go into more detail about this when that episode comes up, but because of the second Thomas story that's in this episode, they almost had to put this story in first. True. To to introduce Stephanie. So, but I'll go into more detail about that. Uh, when we get to the second Thomas story, uh, cause that first one has now ended. So, um, But yeah, this was definitely my first introduction to the narrow gauge engines because I had yet to get the um, Rusty to the Rescue VHS. Uh, w- excellent VHS as well, I might mention. Uh, one of my personal favorites. So, Oh,
1: absolutely. And this, bit,
0: and this is the bit where Mr. Conductor puts two and two together and figures out what's happened. And uh, then really the rest of this episode is the problem of figuring out How do we put things right again? So. And I love that we actually do flashback rather than just hearing Mr. Conductor in voiceover that we actually flash back to Mr. Conductor at night uh, writing in his diary.
1: True. And it's nice to to remind us of that framing device throughout the episode, as opposed to just doing it at the beginning and the end.
0: Right. Uh, Now this, even when I was a child was one of my favorite scenes. Uh, I, I have always enjoyed Midge Smoot, and of course, Steamer is the runaway success of *Shining the Time Station*. And uh, there's this is a fantastic scene. I, I just obviously it's well established that Midge is a gossip. That we that's the first thing we find out about out about her in her first appearance. But I love this scene simply because of how far Midge runs with the with the absolute bare minimum of nothing that Steamer has given her. In fact, Steamer doesn't even tell her anything. She asks him if he's heard the latest news about Stacy and Ned. He hasn't. And then she just sort of starts running away with the idea that they're going to get married. Which I find hilarious. While Steamer is freaking out in the background. (laughs) So, But... I really like the way the station's done up as well um, and and as I was saying in my, in the introduction to this episode, because they were only doing four one hour specials, they could put more effort into each one and the station not that they didn't in the past, but the station is very well decorated and it's more full than it is in a normal quote unquote uh themed episode because we've seen we, we've mentioned in previous commentaries how even in themed episodes. The station appears fairly empty, and although it's not full-full here, there is obviously more money for extras in these episodes.
1: True, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely... Uh, it's just a larger ensemble, really, throughout the whole episode, as opposed to just kind of popping in and out. Right. Case in point, I mean, this this whole scene here, the station's filled to the brim.
0: Yeah. I was like this bit with Steamer with the bad French accent. <laughs> The other interesting thing about this set of episodes is that they were the first episodes of shining time not to be aired in the middle of the day uh because you know shining time station even even the christmas special tis a gift was aired either in the morning or sometime during the day i i believe they were all aired in the morning i certainly remember watching them uh sometime in uh early mid-morning uh, but all four of these specials were aired in prime time slots. And so uh, I, although I was only four at the time, have at least uh, some vague memory of being allowed to stay up past my bedtime uh, to watch uh, these episodes because they were shining time. Yeah, it's
1: very interesting. I mean, I can't even imagine PBS doing that today airing something <laughs> no. in prime time for for children, you know. I mean, you I know, guess the idea is that it's for, for so-called families, but I don't know how many yeah. families have, you know, with teenage children or something are going to sit around watching Thomas. Which was the exact <laughs> mis- miscalculation that led to the dismal failure of Thomas and the Magic Girl. <laughs> yes. This is nice dancing here. Um, nice uh, puppetry as always
0: it is i really like the um there's just something about that cow skull puppet that i really like yeah it's fun yeah this is another great musical all of the musical numbers in this are fantastic in my opinion um it's it's referred to as the buffalo girls medley it's a medley of uh the song buffalo girls and i love the mountains both of which are very nice and here we Get to see more of the uh, lovely Ontario uh, Tottenham wilderness or the scenery.
1: Yes, I said fun. Although I guess I don't understand when when are they having all this time to go out of the station?
0: <laughs> like, that's don't a great they question. work?
1: <laughs> Doesn't right. Stacey work? That...
0: <laughs> and this is all in the course of one afternoon, yeah. as well. Um, so bear in mind, <laughs> now, now now, I understand Billy being willing to hold down the fort for a few minutes while Stacy goes out to do the last minute decorations at the very beginning, but surely Stacy is not, you know, expecting Billy to just run the station in addition to doing his engineering duties on Founders Day while she runs off with her, the the, the man that she's only just met an hour ago.
1: Yeah. And I like, um, obviously, Schemer trying to camouflage himself is very funny. And I also like uh, the uh, the Mr. Conductor rowing in his boat. Um, yes. A nice little process shot of him yeah, integrating into the countryside there.
0: There's quite a bit of that in these specials. Uh, it, it, it's it, It's a lot of fun watching the outdoor scenes and seeing where Mr. Conductor pops up. <laughs> yes and the the one hour specials have more of a dramatic plot to them and I say dramatic I mean dramatic for a children's show you know I mean obviously you know within Shining the Temptation nothing is all that terribly dramatic but because of the expanded run time uh, and such they were able to do bigger plots, and you know, add add a little bit more drama since it was a prime time showing as well.
1: True. Yeah.
0: And here we did a little bit of backstory to Ned.
1: So, I like that he says, "Yeah, chasing this train because that's what he was doing on on the mural." It's a nice little, nice little touch. Right.
0: It is. It is a very nice touch. Yes. It does because it is almost as if. You know, that moment because of the painting on the mural and the magic of the wishing star, it's almost as if that moment is kind of frozen in time because of the mural. Uh, you know, and of course, Ned will eventually have to go back to chasing that train at some point, but uh, yeah, I, I do like this with um, with I'd always thought of it sort of like as a Michael Jackson costume, but it's more Elvis than Michael,
1: yeah, or Prince. <laughs> yeah, except it's not purple. Sure. <laughs> if it were purple, then it would be. Purple. Yeah, it's supposed to be Elvis, I guess, but it doesn't really come across that way. I don't think.
0: You know, with the wig, and maybe, and maybe it's just because I'm blind, but with the wig, he looks kind of like Sunny Bono. A little bit. And of course, this is the new Jukebots, which this is the only appearance of it. Uh, as well as the new band, the Rat Pack, uh, which I mentioned earlier that Craig Marin is doing triple duty uh, because, of course, he's playing Rex, as he always does. He's also playing JJ Silvers, but he is also playing the leader of the Rat Pack. Uh, so, yes. Or at least doing the puppeteering for it. And Olja Marin is doing double duty as DD Dee Dee and doing the puppeteering for, uh, the pussy cat. Hmm.
1: This must've been nice. I mean, for them to get to do some, something else. I mean, you know, some other puppetry, you know, not just doing, yes. uh, the main, the main band. So this is nice. It is. I'm a big Tom Jones fan too. So this is nice.
0: It is. Uh, I and mean, then of course the the leader of the rat pack is very clearly Tom Jones. So
1: <laughs> it's gamers dancing It's very fun. Yes. And I like the like it nice little visual puns here, the cheese for the piano and sitting on the you know, the mousetrap and
0: the when when the hearts come out of her eyes when i was a kid that part was a little off-putting to me uh not so much anymore but when i was little
1: Hmm. i mean just the great thing about the you know all the flexitune stuff i mean the show in general is that just really has this feeling of that it's kind of handmade
0: it has this kind of
1: plucky let's put on a show kind of feel to it kind of in the way that the early muppets did um it, it has that kind of atmosphere to it very charming
0: Yes, I, I would definitely agree. The there there's I've said this many times, and I'll probably continue to say it for as long as we do these Shining Time episodes. Is that there's a lot of there's a lot of Shining Time, as corny as it can be at times. There's a lot of charm to it, and this is the first time that anyone from the outside world intera- uh, interacts with the jukebox puppet band. True. Sure.
1: I guess I just wonder how they got a phone, but
0: well, you know, they—I I assume they have one in the jukebox. Um, but how they were able to reach an outside line is another story. <laughs> but I do like this. Uh, th- this is this was always one of my favorite parts too, is uh, the bit where because Steamer thinks that they're a secret admirer. Um, I I don't know why, but I always got a kick out of that. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) And we go back to our framing device for a moment.
1: And it's nice here, actually, um, that the candle is going down. So we are showing that you know, he's been doing this for a while. That's a clever touch.
0: Yeah. It's it, it's nice to indicate the passage of time. Now, now the thing is, I I love candles. I burn candles regularly. And I know that that's like a taper candle or whatever you want to call it. But my, my what I have to wonder is, how long is Mr. Tucker spending there writing? The candle was almost up to his chin at the very beginning. And it's now down to about half the size of his body. Is he writing the the Great American Novel in his diary? Well, his
1: hands are very small, and the pen is very big. So he it takes a lot of strength for him to takes him about an hour to write a sentence. So.
0: <laughs> very true, yeah, very true.
1: That's why it took him uh, took him about uh, let's see for George Carlin. It took him about uh, from what, 91 to. Ni- to uh, When did uh, Mr. Conductor's Thomas tales end?
0: Uh, I want to say 96. 96. So
1: that's why it took him five years to tell uh, only about 100 stories.
0: That's true. Uh, now, I said that we did around to it earlier. Um, I said that we did around to this. And here we are at the second Thomas story, Thomas and Stepney, or Stepney's special. Um, now, this one actually kind of does tie into the story because there's uh, you know, Schemer is of course jealous of all the attention that Stacy is giving to Ned and the kids are kind of jealous because, you know, they're trying to make money for their field trip and no one's really paying any attention to them. It's up for two or three customers who are apparently lousy tippers. <laughs> uh, and so, this story does kind of fit in with Thomas being jealous of Stephanie being able to take a special after just showing up.
1: True. And I guess that, that therefore that justifies the inclusion of Rusty to the rescue earlier because they would have had to have set up Stephanie being on the Island. Right. Um, Or, you know, where, wherever they're supposed to be.
0: Yes. (laughs) The vague Um, Bluebell Railway.
1: The Bluebell Railway, which is
0: apparently part of so apparently just like
1: Toby's old line.
0: Right, right. Um, Yeah, no, apparently within the TV universe, the Bluebell Railway is not in Sussex um, or England for that matter. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so that was an interesting choice, although it does uh, seem that it takes him all day to get to the northwestern part of the railway. So
1: little diesel, big railway, I guess. Yeah. But never forget, little engines can do big things. <laughs> yes they can. If you forgot it, if you watch Thomas's The Magic Railroad, you could not possibly forget.
0: Oh, because they'll remind you every ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh but but no, I, I do like these episodes.
1: I, uh, you know. Yeah, and I do too. On- there's something about this episode that has always struck me as, and we'll dive into this more when we do the commentary, but that's going to be a while from now. Right. This, something okay. about this episode that has always struck me as odd. There's just okay. something off about the, the, it, just from when I was a kid until now. There's just something weird about this episode. It's what the right. way that the dialogue is written. Like, it's kind of oddly structured. I guess part of it could have to do with the fact that it's a little odd in terms of a Thomas episode in that we jump around locations multiple times with different characters, which is something that doesn't right. actually happen very often in the Thomas episode. Usually if we go to different locations, it's following one character throughout. So that... I
0: mean, And we are technically following Stepney, but before we even get to Stepney, there's you know, a bit with Thomas and Percy, then a bit with Stephanie, then another bit with Thomas and then another. Bit
1: with True. Him. Yeah. And there's just something about and there's honestly, there's actually quite a there's a lot of scenes in this with no um, background music.
0: Which is very weird. It is. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I know that there were early versions in the UK. There were early versions with um, some of the background music not included. But I have to wonder when we get to season four, we'll have to look out for this, but I have to wonder, I can't imagine that the Shining Time Station version of the episode would be any different than the regular version.
1: No, true. Yeah, absolutely. Just There's just something, always oh, just something odd about this about this episode. And I guess possibly because it takes place at night, but a lot of, for what on paper and in the railway series is not really that exciting of a story. They managed to it's cut great. it in a way, you'll edit it and, and, bump everything around in a way that really makes it seem like a very long episode. Actually, it seems like a lot happens in the episode, even even though really on paper, it's one of the most simple Thomas stories. Um, So it's one that they actually managed to, in in my opinion, improve um, over the, the railway series. um, Even though the overall Stephanie thing is, is a bit of a debacle um the uh <laughs> the way that they treated this episode i think is is quite well done
0: oh yes i i would agree definitely i i think you know and again and we'll get into this when we get to season four but i think most of the stuff in the episodes were handled pretty well oh absolutely now this is sort of a change in that a lot of times after the thomas stories were over Mr. Conductor would be the one, you know, doing sort of the wrap up of what the moral of that story was. Uh, But in this scene, we have Dan sort of giving the moral of the episode, which is a recurring theme in the one hour specials in that because the kids are older. And as I said earlier, they're very noticeably older. They do have more of a fleshed out role than they had previously. And they're given slightly more to do. True.
1: Flop. Jerome Dempsey just seems quite unwell in this episode.
0: He is, and he he does, and I think that that might have something to do with why this was his final episode. I I, I know that he passed away not long after the specials were over. I want to say it was like 96, or I want to say it was like within a year or two of when these aired, and so... It's it's it, it's almost sad when you look back at this and think that, wow, he only really lasted about a year or so after this. So. And it seems you know, obviously the mayor has always been a bit scatterbrained and such that he seems slightly more scatterbrained than usual. in, in this episode, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. No, no, I agree. I love this scene as well, uh, the showdown between Ned and Steamer, mm-hmm. or <laughs> almost showdown. <laughs> Steamer just throws the <laughs> button. <laughs> this is a great line. I hope you're smiling when you call me Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little squeak of the hat when he moves it as well yeah I mean for a kid to show this is a fairly tense scene if you're like of the right age to be watching this this could be seen as fairly tense
1: yeah I suppose of the right age is yeah. definitely the, the key phrase yeah. there
0: oh yes definitely of the right
1: age but this is this is why the there's just this is why for the shining time station just has something about it that just doesn't quite work always because these stories are meant for slightly older children but thomas is aimed at such a younger audience so it just doesn't it's an odd disconnect that doesn't always quite work
0: I I I I can definitely see where w- what you're saying with that, and and I agree to a to a point. You know, it, it is interesting, especially these family specials. Who are these aimed for? Because they're they're not aimed. Obviously, the Thomas parts of them are aimed for, of course, the pe the group of people that would have grown up watching Thomas. But the Shining Time parts of it, particularly these episodes, are aimed at older children not necessarily preteens but definitely at least seven or eight yeah or, or eight, eight or
1: nine yes yeah, seven seven eight, eight or nine. nine i mean but you know no seven eight or nine year old is sitting around watching thomas you know most likely at... um, except for us mm-hmm. I mean, right yeah. but you know what i mean we're, except we're the, we're, we're for, the for the most part and and i would say probably not as much at that time so um
0: exactly we are the exception it's <laughs> not the rule so um Interesting bit that we just talked over there. Uh, the, the steamer's mother is once again provided by uh, Stacy and Harry from season one's Promises Promises. Huh. They did a lot of mileage out of that conversation. They definitely did. This was great as well. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Conductor wrangling Ned's leg.
1: Yeah, it's fun.
0: And I love how how unfazed Ned is because, you know, he's already seen enough wacky stuff happen in the course of less than 24 hours that, oh, I've been transported through time, fallen in love with a woman, (laughs) been challenged by a man half my size, 18-year-old conductor, okay, whatever, I'll just go with it.
1: You mean 18-inch
0: high? 18-inch tall, that's what I meant, 18, (laughs) not 18 foot That will be something. Well, you said you said
1: eighteen year old.
0: Eighteen, okay, eighteen inch, eighteen inch tall. Um, now this locomotive uh, is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, It is South Simcoe Railway Number One Three Six, which was part of the Canadian Pacific Railway. Uh, It was built in nineteen. Sorry, eighteen eighty three. And all of these shots of the railway are the South Simcoe Railway, which is yeah. a tourist railway uh, in Canada.
1: This is nice. I mean, just uh, nice to see a real locomotive. Yes. Um, what's interesting, though, is that like the, the disconnect between these scenes and then, you know, the, the standard Shining Time station, um, method of having, like, you know, the little cardboard train that goes through the window. Right. Um, so that's kind of a,
0: it's interesting. Yes. yes. Um, and, uh, but it's nice. This, this bit between Billy and Steamer where they realize that the train's joined by itself, that's, th- this is one of my favorite parts as well. I love it. And it's
1: nice that they got to, they repainted, you know, the tender for, um, the Indian Valley Railroad. Right. Um, and very cleverly disguised the, uh, top of the, uh, you know, the, uh, coach that would have said, I'm sure the name of the actual railway, they covered it with the Founder's Day banner. Right. This is nice. I mean, this is the first time that we actually see any of these characters on a real train for after three seasons. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, it's, it's nice. Three seasons and 60-something episodes, and we finally see them on a train. (laughs) Now, of course, this is where the big, um, more adult, well, not not even more adult, but this is where the big drama of the episode happens with the runaway train. Right. Uh, And again, drama for a show aimed at seven to ten-year-olds, but... But it is exciting, and again, it's, it's nice that, they, that that's something they could take advantage of with the larger budget for
1: these one-hour specials. I'm sure something they've always wanted to do was do, was do some sort of runaway train thing that, on, on a bigger scale. Right. So this totally
0: works. This whole, these last several scenes are so wonderful, you know? I, I, love, I love so much about this, uh, this uh, all of these specials, really. But yeah, um, th- this isn't my favorite of the specials, though. Uh, the- w- there's another special that I like more than this, and uh, you'll know which one it is when we get to it, because I'll probably just be gushing about it the entire episode.
1: I like the music here, too.
0: Oh, it's great.
1: But Yeah, this is really ni- nice to get. I'm Mr. Conductor getting to be on an actual locomotive. I mean, right. It's just, it's great.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this with with JB King, uh, you know, making make, making the announcement that everything's totally under control, and then the, in the next second, pa- second panicking and having Stacy uh, take charge of everything. He should have said that it was causing confusion and delay. <laughs> I I don't know if uh, we were quite at that at that stage yet, but uh, had this been a couple of years later, yes, he probably would have.
1: Absolutely. May have said uh Chomush. Yes. Oh, may he rest
0: in peace. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but may several of them rest in peace. Uh, you know, Michelangelo and uh, uh, Jerome Dempsey, George Carlin, George Carlin Bobo Lewis Bar. We've lost a lot of people that are in this episode. Um. You know, Bobo Lewis, Barbara Hamilton, Jerome Dempsey, George Carlin, uh, Ari Magler. Right. You know, like music, Begley
1: Jr., he's still going.
0: He is still going. The music in the scene is just fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And again, I mean, you can really see here, this
1: is kind of what what she was really aiming for for uh um for Magic Railroad. Right. Yeah, you know, this kind of atmosphere, this kind of vibe which she got a little bit with uh by filming in Strasbourg.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but uh but something along these lines would have been better.
0: Oh yes. I, I, I agree <laughs> completely. Um but I I, I have to I feel like this is what Brit had always wanted to do with, um, with shining time station. And, you know, obviously the movie must've been on her mind. And so these were, you know, clearly, you know, testing out if they could do a shining time story in more than half an hour. And and clearly they can, but, you know, it it must've been so great for Brit to be able to do an hour, a set of hour long shining time episodes and do them, with a decent budget because, you know, after the, the hit of seasons two and three, uh, you know, they had a slightly bigger budget and they were able to allot more of it to each episode having doing, doing only four, you know, so this must've been awesome. For... Absolutely. Now I wonder what it must've been like for George Carlin to do all
1: that stuff against the blue screen, um, you know, and trying to hang on to the cord and right. And all of that, I mean, you know, s- simulated, but, it must've been odd trying to work all that out.
0: Oh, I'm sure now this, this, this girl, her name is Lily, not to be confused with another famous Lily (laughs) in the shining time universe. Uh, but it's sort of implied here that the flower Ned painted on her cheek has some sort of magical power because she mutters goodbye, Mr. Kincaid just before Ned disappears into the sunset and goes back to being a a painting on the mural.
1: Well, we all know that, uh, that, that uh, there's a lot of magic powers around Shining Town Station.
0: <laughs> yes, there are.
1: Magic bluebirds, magic dust.
0: Um, later on, there'll be a magic horse.
1: Magic horse. And even a magic railroad, believe it or not.
0: Oh, yes. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard about that.
1: And a mountain in which you have to stoke up the magic.
0: Yes. I I I really, really like this scene uh between Steamer and Stacy. Um you know we we've mentioned so many times that Stacy is the heart of Shining Time Station and so it's interesting to see Stacy as they did a bit angry in this episode, you know. Um and Steamer gets quite an admonishing here, but it is still she she manages to still be the same kind-hearted Stacy that she always is and it's It's such a sweet
1: scene, I think. Yeah, and what's interesting is you kind of sometimes forget that, I mean, obviously, the whole thing revolves around a railroad, but you kind of forget that, like, Schemer is working at a railroad. Right. Um, So, and he very rarely interacts with anything dealing with trains whatsoever. Right. So, it's, you know, interesting to see him, even though this was, you know, not a good thing, but, uh, but it is nice to see him back in his old attire.
0: Yes. It is. I think he wears that shirt more than any other. I mean, I know that he does wear different shirts throughout the run of the series, but I, I've seen that shirt more times, maybe it's just because I've watched this episode a thousand times, but I, I, I have a distinct memory of that shirt being worn more frequently than most of his others.
1: Hmm.
0: So, or maybe he just has a lot of similar shirts.
1: Yeah, I guess that, um, that jacket definitely makes several appearances. Yes. This is nice. It is.
0: So (sighs) interesting that Ned bequeathed the money to steamer. You know, the winnings from the costume contest
1: true now don't these kids ever go to school
0: uh i just assume that this is all happening during the summer so I, all the time <laughs> I, I i i just assume that the entire shining time station unless it explicitly uh says that it's at a different time of the year that it's always during the summer unless the episode <laughs> is specified around a holiday
1: <laughs> nice, nice again that we get a conversation between uh, JJ Silver's and Schemer.
0: Yes, and uh, you know, before that conversation, we had the last uh, last scene that Mayor Flopdinger will ever appear in, and his last line, of course, takes all kinds to make a world. <laughs> this is actually for Schemer quite a sweet scene as well. You know, I mean it's it's probably the nicest Schemer is to these kids. In the entire series. Sure. I ask you one more time to please take the money away from Steamer before I change my mind. (laughs) So, yes. Yeah. And, you know obviously we've had episodes that focus on the adults and the children and such but it's it's so fascinating that this episode really does focus more on Stacy and Steamer than anybody else and the kids you know the kids do talk about feeling like they've been ignored, ignored It kind of have been throughout this episode though you know
1: true you know I mean? yeah you know what i mean
0: yeah so, so
1: once again, nice little uh, return to this framing device here with Mister Conductor.
0: It is. It's. It's a very nice ending, and I like that. I like the. I like the, um, the scene just before this with uh, Ed Bentley Jr. coming back as Ned's great grandson.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or this scene right here, I should say rather.
1: Right.
0: Right. Interesting. Identical great-great-grandson. <laughs> only, what are only the odds? In the <laughs> only in the Indian Valley. Well, then again, that's not the first time we've seen it because Stacy is ident- identical to her grandmother, and St- as Billy and Steamer are identical to their grandfathers, so it wouldn't be the first time. True. So... And here we go. The candle is almost completely down to the bottom. And
1: Yeah, I tell you, I'm Mr. Conductor. I mean, he must be so worn out.
0: <laughs> he must be.
1: Got some writing cramps you know, here.
0: Yeah, but that's... It, it's a nice ending as well. It's a sweet ending. And this almost... If it weren't for the fact that Ari Magidor left after the next episode... This almost could have been the finale in that, you know, Mr. Conductor's last line of the episode, of course, is that he believes that Stacy and everybody else at Shining Time will live happily ever after. True. I mean, obviously it works within the episode as well with, you know, the episode being called Once Upon a Time and him starting out the story like that. But, you know, it, you know, I'm I'm just thinking of what might have been. So...
1: Yeah, that was a nice, nice special, um, and uh, not my favorite of the four specials, but not. Um, no. um, I don't know. We'll have to rank them when we're done. I'm, I'm not sure I'd be we able will. to to rank it. But what's interesting is that in a half hour they would do two Thomas episode Thomas episodes when the show first started, um, and now they're doing. You know, they did one that's you know, uh, you know, almost an hour, and there's only two Thomas episodes. <laughs> right. Uh, so quite interesting
0: it is quite interesting as well but as i said Britt wanted to ex- uh, to experiment with doing a longer storyline for the human characters as well um you know which which in some ways worked to her benefit and in some ways didn't as we saw in matched railroad <laughs> um but you know
1: but yeah so that was uh that was once upon a time um Time station, but uh you can find us on twitter at talking thomas one facebook facebook.com slash talking thomas pod follow us on there uh leave us a comment leave us some feedback we love yeah. to hear it um Thank uh, thanks for listening to all of our episodes so far we've built up quite a sizable library of episodes so go back and listen to some um, share it with your friends yeah you can find us on anchor spotify apple podcasts google podcasts many other podcast platforms um most of our listeners listen to us on apple podcasts um yes. but uh but yeah so uh catch us next time we'll have we'll be doing the rest of these one hour specials uh, more railway series discussions coming up soon and then we will be starting our season 3 commentaries on uh, Thomas the Tank Engine and Ed friends
0: yeah there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming up from us it's it's going to be a fun time um what well, one other before we go just one other thing i wanted to mention about the specials is that apparently Part of the funding, I mean, because obviously, um, you know, PBS is funded by uh, donations. Um, But I I always find it funny that the beginning and end of each of the specials features an advertisement for Amtrak. Apparently, um, uh, apparently part of the money to make these specials came from an underwriting grant from Amtrak. (laughs) So I don't know why, but that always that always tickled me. Uh, But yes, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we shall see you all next time.